0: The series we're considering, of course, is Therefore, What Manner of Person Ought We to Be? Number three this afternoon is on hospitality. Our introductory reading to be read by Dean Kitto, Luke 14, verses 12 to 14, and then Luke 15, verses 1 to 10. We now look forward to Chris's insights on hospitality. Well, good afternoon, my dear brethren and sisters and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, uh, the second time that I've been told that the after-lunch session is a bit hard and it's my duty to keep people awake. So uh, <clears throat> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> the parables that we hope to look at this afternoon, there's two of them. There's the, the rules of hosting, as they're, they're called. They're in, in chapter 14, as we had read to, to us um, and uh, the, the parable in, in Luke chapter 15. And it's, it's really convenient, and I certainly had nothing in it. I don't know if anyone planned it, but the, uh, the devotional uh, earlier this morning with, uh, with Brother Paul really set me up beautifully for uh, our class this afternoon as he looked at the, uh, the, the parable of the lost, and he talk, talked about the lost sheep and, and uh, the sons involved there. So hopefully our, our minds have already kind of uh, been primed, as it were, uh, for what we hope to look at uh, this afternoon. When I put these two together, my idea was that uh, the first parable there was fairly small and would probably get through it fairly quickly, and then I would be able to spend quite a bit of time in, in Luke 15. Uh, as it turned out, uh, probably most of this afternoon's class will be on the, the small parable in Luke 14, and then at the end we'll, we'll uh, try and slide in a few connecting points uh, with, from, from Luke 15, which I hope you're a little more familiar with. But we might ask, what's the connection... Uh, between this, why have we entitled this hospitality? Remember, our, our overall theme is uh, to do with um, what manner of persons we ought to be, and uh, we've looked at various things—forgiveness. Uh, you know, we, we've looked at uh, uh, you know how we should interact one with another, and uh, so we're talking here about about hospitality, the rules of hosting, uh, and the found, the parable of the found, which we'll come to. Well. Sort of just by, by way of introduction, I think these are some, some key contact, concepts that hopefully will, will, will be borne out as a, through our study this afternoon. <clears throat> Pastoral care is not to be an afterthought in the life of, of a believer. It's not sort of just this little extension. It's, it's got to be so much more than that. You know, It's not something that's left to the arranging committee or to a few people. This is something we all need to take on board. Um, pastoral care, looking for those who looking after those and looking out for those in our various ecclesias. Fellowship is sometimes messy, involving interacting with those we would not normally associate with. So be careful who you choose to eat bread with. That's what we're going to see here is the, the 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 warning, if you will, that Jesus gives to his host uh, here in, in Luke 14. Seeking the lost is part of our discipleship. And we're going to hopefully see how these all tie together. You know, who we have over for tea, as it were, who we invite to, to share our bread with, uh, is part of seeking out the lost um, or making sure perhaps that they don't get lost. Now, what we like to do is uh, look at the context in Luke 14. Um, and uh, we'll just go back to uh, the first two verses. Hopefully that's what we've seen with, with all these parables. It's no different really than any, t- any part of Scripture. You know, It's frustrating sometimes when we, we run uh, learn-to-read-the-Bible-effectively seminars and, and tell other people how you know, to read the Bible effectively and look at the context and look for echoes, and then we sometimes ignore our own advice when it comes to perhaps the ecclesial Bible class um, or a study day or, or whatever the case might be, our own personal study. So we hope to have demonstrated that a little bit as we've uh, looked at these parables, because really the parables are kind of a a microcosm of what Scripture is like in its entirety. It's all hidden treasure uh, that's our honor to search out. So let's look at the context here of Luke 14, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread with him, bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Well, that's the, the, the background to what Jesus is going to say in this in this uh, in this chapter. It's interesting if you just contrasted that with chapter fifteen and verse one. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. <laughs> we really need to ask ourselves right there: Are we are we are we watchers or are we hearers? Uh, there's there's a critical element here in, in in verse one of chapter fourteen. You know, you know really they'd invited Jesus for dinner. But they were—they were really setting him up. They'd perhaps even put here a a sick man, right in Jesus' way. You know, what's he going to do on the Sabbath day? And and they're watching him. They're critical of what he's doing and hoping to catch him. Do we read Scripture that way? Do we—do we set our brothers and sisters up that way? Oh, what's he going to say? What's he going to do in this circumstance? And judge them based on that? Or are we there to listen to the Master, to hear him and and? take on board what what he's saying. That's the contrast there between these two chapters, which we're going to be looking at today. So um, Jesus really tackles in this chapter three issues all at once. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day? That's the the question he asks them. We've been talking to the teenagers about the importance of asking the right questions. And this is one of them. Verse three there, uh, Jesus looks right at them and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And he's going to tackle that. Don't choose for yourself the best seat or the best food or whatever it might be. There it is in, in, uh, in verse 10. When you are bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he which has bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher, and thou shalt have worship in the presence of all them that sit and meet with thee. It, it's not all about you and, and how you think about yourself. Right? That's one of the other issues. And, and as he was invited to this feast, he would have seen this going all, all around him as people were, were jockeying for position. Amongst that group that was there. And as we've mentioned already, the, the third point is be careful who you invite to dinner. So, what's the connection here as Jesus tackles these, these three issues? Well, we've already talked a little bit about how the Pharisees viewed things when we looked at Simon the Pharisee and the, and the woman uh, that was uh, washing Jesus' feet. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus is going to show them it, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's, it's actually the right thing to do. But, but for the Pharisees, it was perhaps best to do nothing on the Sabbath. You know, the, the less I do, the more righteous I can appear, and, and the more likely I won't get into difficulty. So they had all kinds of rules of what you could and couldn't do. And, and they took some of God's scriptures and, and added to it so that a couple of scriptures became extensive volumes of what you couldn't do on the Sabbath day and Jesus is saying we should be doing good things. It's 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 a day we do God's things. We put aside our own things and do God's things. For, from the Pharisees' perspective focusing on the externals, you know, for them they had to look good in the eyes of others. You know, my social standing and my status is important. So I need to take that best seat. It, they've got to see that it's me. I I I I'm 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 to be there. That's what I deserve. It's it's again about me and, and how I look in front of others. And Jesus says I don't know. Take the lowest seat. And from the Pharisees' point of mind, uh, point of view, they would have would have thought that I can really only mix with those of of like status. You know, I would I wouldn't want to mingle with sort of the, the unwashed, as it were. You know, it, it might taint what people think of me if they see me associating with these people. Uh, I, in fact, I have my reputation to preserve, and that was very important. uh, from the, the pharisaical sort of perspective. And so right in the middle of this chapter, brothers and sisters, in verse 11, Jesus gives this what I'm going to call a divine axiom. This is a truth. This is a principle which must pervade everything that we do. Whoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Let's think about that and, 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 and ha- let that think about how that would guide you day by day in, in everything that you do. We spoke with the young people this morning about the fact that, you know, Jesus said a man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesses. And that's the exact opposite of what our world tells us. You are judged, every, everything, you're based on, on what you possess. Your life does consist of what you possess. It, it Christ's words are in total contradiction to what the world says, and so too here. The world would say, well, if you don't exalt yourself, who's going to? You've got to look after number one. You better take care of yourself, because no one else is going to. And Jesus says, no, you've got to humble yourself, and that's challenging for us. And that really addresses um, all the issues that, that are, are facing the people in that room with Jesus and the people in this room here with us today. This really is a divine axiom. I, I, I started looking at cross-references and, and various sources and, and came up with, with over 20 passages from cover to cover in Scripture that, that, uh, that deal with this, with this principle. But let, let's stay just in the Gospel of Luke and turn back, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. We know that, that Luke's Gospel is, is the one that presents the, the humanity of, of Christ, the, the man, in, in the faces of the cherubim. And it's Luke's gospel that records his humble birth. It's in Luke's gospel that we find him in the manger. And here in Luke chapter 1, I believe we almost have a theme of of Luke's gospel presented. Uh, We'll read verses 51 and uh, 52. um, In this, talking about God. He hath shown strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts he hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. And his son is going to be born in a manger, the king of all the earth. Exalted him of of low degree. It really then is going to to be a theme that's going to carry through Luke's gospel. We have the verse we read there in in chapter 14. And then if you just flip forward to chapter 18, a a, a parable that we'll look, look at on Friday, God willing. In Luke 18... This is the the, the prayer of the the publican, the famous seven-word prayer. uh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for, and here it is again, everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Brothers and sisters, this is a pivotal concept. This is how God operates. (laughs) It's not my words. This is a principle that's throughout Scripture. If you exalt yourself, you you will be humbled. Hopefully in this life, you'll be humbled, chastened of the Lord, and you'll be exercised by that chastening. Because to be humbled at the judgment seat would be to to be cast out. But if we humble ourselves, and, and we make it a matter of daily practice to... To humble ourselves, to think of others better than ourselves, to esteem others better than ourselves, and we live our life that way, then it'll be God's good pleasure to give us his kingdom. We will be exalted. So let's look back then at Luke chapter 14. It's a short parable. It's perhaps one that we've maybe glossed over and In my own mind, I thought, okay, we'll spend a couple of minutes on that, and then we'll have a good long long session in chapter 15. But just start looking at this. I mean, Jesus doesn't waste words. So what's he saying here? Let's just read it again, verses 12 to 14. He said to them which had made, uh, which had bade him, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, uh, and a recompense be made thee. But when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And so we're talking about hospitality at many levels. Here is just having, having a dinner. There's a few key words that I thought would be interesting to to look at. Um, You know, it's it's a fascinating thing and the ability we have, especially in this day and age to to check out meanings of words and and the significance of them. This word call here in verse uh, 12 and 13 um, is is the Greek word phoneo. I'm not usually very good at pronouncing Greek and I have no idea if that's close. But I think we can see the idea in there. It's it's like phonics. It's like phone. It means to emit a sound to address in words or by name, and I thought to myself, okay, it says here, when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. I was thinking to myself, how easy that is for us to do. We can literally pick up the phone and phone somebody, or we can text them, or we have a mobile phone, or we have Facebook, we have email. How many people do we call? We really have no excuse to not call someone, don't we? Have you ever had that thing, well, you know, I really sh- you know, someone's unwell, or I should really give them a call, but we never get around to it. You know, what excuse do we have in this day and age to not make the call? And just for interest here, um, this word dinner uh, is, is the best meal, usually in the morning. Uh, it's also in, in uh, verse, um, well, 12 and, uh, 12 and 13 there, uh, a, a supper, which is more, it's the chief meal, the, 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 uh, the evening meal, or a feast in verse 13 there, a reception. It's, you know, almost like a banquet. So pretty much everything's covered here. And, and I would suggest perhaps even if you wanted to call someone and meet them at a, a corner a coffee shop or uh, if back home I'd say Tim Hortons. Um, I don't know what it is here, you know. But that would, that would qualify. Let's just, let's just have a cup of coffee. Can, can I meet you somewhere? Can we have a chat? It, it doesn't take much. It's so simple. And how rarely do we do it? And, and, and the advice here in Luke 14 is when you're going to make that call? Think about who you're calling. Oh, it's so easy, brothers and sisters, to call your friends, your brethren, your kinsmen, your rich neighbors, and and perhaps um, you know you're thinking about the fact. Well, maybe next week they'll invite me back. They, that may not be your motivation, but Jesus is saying that's what's going to happen. You know what? What have you really accomplished by doing that? What's your motivation? Jesus is really getting at motivation here, isn't it? Isn't he? What motivates us to do what we do when it comes to hospitality? You know, are there people in your ecclesia that? the most interaction you've had over the last year is hello, how are you doing on a Sunday morning? Fine. How are you? Fine. And that's it. This is talking about getting to know people. And I think there's going to be more to it. We'll see that in a a moment. Lest a recompense be made unto thee. Verse 12. Just, Just keep something there and flip back to Matthew chapter 6. All the words of Christ are like the words of that uh, 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 like a sharp-edged sword, two-edged sword, don't they? they? They really cut to the quick, don't they? You know, it really gets to our motivations. And, and we're not going to go through in detail Matthew chapter 6, but I just wanted to, to turn, turn to this. Uh, I've, I've done some coloring in in, Luke, in uh, Matthew chapter 6 as well. It's, it's there at the end of verse 4, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Compared to verse 2, the hypocrites who sound the trumpets. and the end of verse 2, they have their reward. You will get a reward for what you're doing, brothers and sisters, whatever it may be. There will be, you know, a cause and effect, if you will. It's, it's a, then again, there again, when you're praying. the end of verse 5, you know, standing in the, in the street corners and so on, they, they want the praise of men. Oh, they'll get the praise of men. They have their reward. But you go into your closet that your Father which sees in secret shall reward the opening. Which, which, who do you want the reward from? Do you want the recompense, the here and the now? Or do you want God to reward you? And it just goes through it. It's there again at the end of chapter, uh, verse 16. They have their reward compared to verse 18. He shall reward thee openly. That's a theme that's right throughout there. It's really the, the, the cornerstone of, uh, of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So back in, in Luke 14 then, we, we see there, don't, don't just invite people that can reward you, can recompense you. Because if they do and that's your motivation, then, then that's it. You, you got what you wanted. <laughs> it's not as though then, at some future point, it's going to be, well, okay, God, now what are you going to reward me with? Well, no, you had your reward. That, that's what it says clearly. Compared to verse 14 uh, in, in Luke 14, uh, you will be blessed, for they cannot recompense you. You shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So make a choice. Where, where, which, which reward do you want? The here and the now or the future? This is, again, a divine principle, brothers and sisters. If, if you work for the reward offered in this life, then that's all you're going to get. There's a proverb that sort of bears on this. Proverbs 19, verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto Yahweh, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. God, God, God will take care of things. You know, so often in this life, and our world is really built on that, isn't it? You know, you scratch, I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of a concept. That, you know, that's how so many things work. And, and this is saying, no, you go out there and do the right thing. And let God take care of it. God will, God will pay you again. God will make sure there's a, there's a recompense, if you will. It, it cast my mind back to uh, the parable of, of the rich man and Lazarus, which unfortunately is, one, is, I think, the only parable that's unique to Luke that we're not going to get time to do. I I'd grouped it together with tomorrow's class on the unjust steward, and I thought we could do them together, but again, the, the one was so full of information, so that one had to go. But you're familiar with the parable of, uh, of the rich man and Lazarus. And, and, and all that time, the, 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 the poor man was at, the, at the, the stairs or the gate of the, uh, of the rich man, and he never looked after him. And, and when circumstances had changed, he, he was surprised. You know, he's like, oh, and, and God said, well, you, you know, you got all your rewards in this life. What are you looking for one after, in the afterlife? And, um, you know, that rich man in that parable never heard what that poor man had to say. And he never he contemplated his situation and what he could do to relieve his situation. He was too busy inviting his friends and his kinsmen and his brethren and he never looked to the, the one that was sitting at his, at his gate, poor and maimed, lame and perhaps blind, the poor man, who had a lot to offer for that rich man, but he, he never listened to him. So who are we to invite, brothers and sisters? And, and why is it that we would invite these ones? I would suggest to you that those invited are those who have made sacrifices in this life to serve God. I want you to just think about that. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Obviously underprivileged in some way and therefore unable to recompense. We, we get that, we understand that. We're, we're, we're not looking for a reward in this life. We're showing hospitality so we can get to know people, so we can, can really have a relationship with them, their, their brothers and sisters of, in our family, the family of God. And so it's appropriate that we should be inclusive in that. But going one step further, Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the people we want to associate with. Now, hopefully our, our friends and our kindred, in the, in the flesh, as it were, are these same ones, but, but maybe not. And maybe we need to reach out to those in the ecclesia, in the body of Christ, who are poor. They're poor in spirit, the humble ones, the ones that get so easily overlooked. You know, they're the ones that we sort of normally associate with. Mark 4, uh, 9, verse 43, and, and you'll be familiar with this. But think about this in terms of the maimed, the lame, and the blind. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better to enter into life lame. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. These are the people we need to associate with. People that that are that serious about the truth. That's who we want to have around us. That's who we want to have over for tea. That's who we want to break bread with. Those that have have made sacrifices, and it's, and it's, it's hindered them in some way, in this world's perspective, but spiritually they've made the right choice. They're maimed. Because they cut off their hand. They're, bl- they're lame because they've cut off their foot. They're blind because they've plucked out their eye. In a spiritual sense, brothers and sisters, those are the kind of ones we want to, to associate with. Those are the ones we want to show hospitality to. There's, there were many scriptures, Old Testament precedents for this, and, and I think this one really captures it. Uh, Deuteronomy 14, verse 29. 29. Um, these are those that you should associate with, that you would want to care for and look after. The Levite, because he hath no part and or inheritance with thee. And the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied that Yahweh thy God may bless thee and all the work of thy hand which thou doest. Isn't that the principle of the rules of hosting here in Luke 14? And doesn't that open just a floodgate of ideas? the fatherless and the widows. This is pure religion. These are the ones we need to care for. And sometimes it's literal, right? Sometimes we literally do have those that are without father or mother in our ecclesia. Sometimes we do have widows, those that have maybe come to the truth and had to, to separate from family. But I think it extends beyond that. It's those that, that are quite often overlooked or, or uh, not cared for. We, we reach out for. We, we go the extra mile for And so we ask ourselves, what is, what is our criteria for hosting? When we're thinking about who we might have over or who we might make that phone call to, what, on what basis do we make those decisions, brothers and sisters? That email we're going to send off, that, that Facebook post. What are our motives for doing those things? And is it really all just about us and our own little network that we like? or Are we willing to, to reach out? We're not going to deal with the next parable here. We're going to deal with it uh, with the young people in, in Luke 14. But it's really the same thing. I, an invitation went out for coming to the Great Supper. And some made excuses. And, and what were their excuses? Well, I've, I've bought a piece of ground and I, I have to go and see it. I'm not blind. I want to go see this land that I've, that I've purchased. I've, I've bought a yoke of oxen. I have to go and prove them. I have to walk behind them because I'm not maim, I'm not lame. I'm out there doing things. I'm too busy for this invitation to go to the Great Supper. I've I've married a wife. I've joined hands with someone because I haven't cut off my hand. And these turn their back on God. Those aren't the ones we want to associate. We want to to associate with those that have made those sacrifices in the truth. And they've accepted the invitation to go to the feast. In fact, this is the call of God, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 21. The servant came and showed his Lord these things. All these people that made excuses. Lord, you're having this this wonderful feast. You've invited all these people. They don't want to come. What are we going to do? He said, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. You're going to be in the kingdom with them, brothers and sisters. You better get to know them now and have them around for dinner and enjoy fellowship and breaking of bread with them. So what's the connection then that I'm suggesting as we continue our reading through Luke 14 into Luke 15? What is the segue into Luke 15? And we've had the parable, the first ten verses of it read to us, and we've been reminded of it this morning with the, the, the sheep and the coin and the sons. I would suggest to you that the rules of hosting, those who you are going to invite over for dinner, those you're going to interact with, and have fellowship with, I would suggest this is the the connection. Proper, unhindered, non-exclusive, open, generous hospitality will solve the problem of the lost. No one will want to stray from the ecclesia, and no one will get lost inside it. And that's what we're going to look at now in, in the time we have remaining as I said, perhaps a little more quickly, we could have spent uh, probably a whole, well, several sessions on, on the parable in Luke 15, but that's what we'd like to, to sort of set it up with, the, 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 the hospitality rules uh, and why they're there, because we want to keep our brothers and sisters in the ecclesia, we want to keep them safe, we want, to keep, we want to keep them vibrant, and we don't want anyone to leave, and if they do, we want to reach out to them in hospitality and friendship. This has been called many things, this, uh, this, this parable in, in, uh, in Luke 15. Uh, some have split into three parables. If you have a Bible that divides things up, it's probably got three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. Um, I believe it's one parable. It says that in, in verse 3, he spake this parable unto them. And although it's true about sheep and coins and sons, I'd like to entitle it the parable of the found. Oh, there were lost ones along the way. There's, there's no doubt about it. But the focus is on the finding, the parable of, of, of the found. <clears throat> Context, verse 1 and 2. Then drew near unto him the publicans and sinners to hear him. So there they are, wanting to listen. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. We've seen this already in our first session with Simon the Pharisee that Jesus was a friend of sinners, and that was a derogatory comment. So here they are. You've got publicans and sinners hearing, and you've got uh, Pharisees and scribes deriding him and, and uh, murmuring against him. And they're going to feature in this parable. As Jesus, sur- as Jesus surveyed his audience and saw these two groups there, he spoke this parable with them in mind without a shadow of a doubt. Verses 3 to 7, we had read for us, and and, uh, we won't go into detail there. There was one found sheep out of 100. It's interesting in this parable, we see um, a focusing in on really what it's about. He first talks about sheep, and there's 100 of them. Then he talks about coins, and there's 10 of them. Then he talks about sons, and there's two of them. In each case, one was found. And so it became more and more personal, and, and now to us, you know, which, which son are you? There are only two. Which one are you? The, the, the sheep, obviously, the hundred of them, would have related to uh, the publicans and the sinners, as they would have been viewed, as kind of had wandered away. They, they weren't really part of, of what, at that time, the, the uh, religious organization of, of Jesus' day. They would have been sort of outside of it, and Jesus was, was seeking for them. It's interesting uh, here in verse 4. Um, which man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? The, the, the attitude of the searcher, brothers and sisters, he was going to search until he found it. That was the, the, the motivation, if you will. That was the, the, the diligence, the intensity that he was going to search until he found it. He wasn't going to have one lost. And, of course, the 99 are left in the wilderness. And depending on how you've, I don't know, children's books or or seen this, you know, you kind of see the 99 safely. Oh, they're going to be safe. They're in the fold, and they're in the wilderness. In fact, you'll notice after he's found the sheep, the the man takes the sheep home. We're not sure what happened to the 99. And as it was uh, uh, in the devotional this morning... I believe Brother Paul, when he was sort of summing things up, uh, relating to verse uh, 7, I say there's likewise joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. And he added, think they need no repentance. Because that's absolutely true. Because, you know, if we were to put hands up, how many people don't think they need repentance? None of us would put our hand up. But there's that. Just like Simon the Pharisee. Oh, you know, I'm only a a fifty-pence debtor. It's no big deal. All right? I don't really need repentance. That's the mindset we're going to uh, have to be, you know, we're going to be challenged by. So there's the, there's the sheep. Verses uh, 8 to 10, we have one found coined out of the ten. And it was found inside the house, brothers and sisters. These these were lost in the house. They were in the ecclesia. And I would suggest to you this this would relate to, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes. They were just as lost. They maybe didn't realize it. they were you know, and, and for us, brothers and sisters, perhaps the sheep's obvious, more obvious to see. You know, we talk about someone who's left the truth. They're, they're, they're not coming out to meeting. You know, we need to reach out and make that phone call. But what about inside the ecclesia? Do you see how important it is, the, the rules of hosting? When you're inclusive and trying to include everyone, you might find out that the brother or sister who's come along every, every week, faithfully, Bible class, Sundays, lectures, and is there all the time, and, and maybe just as lonely And and you know, sort of lost in a crowd, we say. There may be people this this week here at the conference, surrounded by a thousand people, and they're lost. They're lost in that crowd, they're lonely, they they need they need to talk. They need to to know that, that people care for them. So we found that we find that lost one. She sweeps diligently, she does all that she can. She lights the candle. And there's joy in the presence of the angels of God. Who's in the presence of the angels of God? The Lord Jesus Christ is, and God himself is. That's where the joy is. They're, they're joyful over that one sinner that repents. And then we come to the, the third phase of this parable. It is one parable. You know, it doesn't say, you know, in verse 11, and he spake another parable unto them. It just flows. I sort of see it as, a, you know, maybe three acts of a play. And that's unfolding and narrowing, narrowing. A certain man had two sons. There's only ever two sons. Which one are we going to be? What we got here. So one, fun, one found son out of two. And again, if we just sort of line this up with the uh, I would suggest to you, the younger son is the publicans and the sinners, and the older son in Jesus' day is the scribes and the Pharisees. It's often entitled the, the prodigal son, this parable, this part of the parable. And uh, that really just comes from uh, the word in, uh, in verse 13. Not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country where he wasted his substance with riotous living. And a, an old English word for wasting is, is prodigal, to be a prodigal, to be a waster. And, and that's where it comes from. And I'm just going to ask you to tuck that away because uh, uh, when we revisit this parable on Friday... Uh, well, not this parable, but uh, in, 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 uh, in chapter 16. Um, we're going to see a connection there with the, the wasting. So just just by way of interest there. I would suggest to you that both sons were lost, but only one was found. And we simply ask ourselves, if we look at verse 23 and 24, uh, as it was uh, read to us this morning in, in the devotional, and I'll bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this day my son was dead and is alive, was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. Now what's that a picture of? That's a picture of the kingdom. Um, you know, he's had the, the robe that he's been clothed upon. He's, he's got a ring on his finger. He's got shoes on his feet. Walk through the land, the length of it and the breadth of it. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. That's the, 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 the younger son, the lost son who has been found. The older one, we're not sure. The, the parable ends with him outside the house, outside of the feasting, looking in. In the time we have remaining, we'd like to just look at the, uh, this, this, uh, this part of the parable in, uh, in stages, or as, as the character. So we'll look at the father. Um, the father in this parable, obviously, is, is God's example to us as parents, as members of an ecclesia, uh, you know what's our reaction to those that are lost, and um, it's interesting. There, I guess one of the, the key things in terms of his character—it's it, amazing—and it, it's, it's the recollections of his younger son in verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, "How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? How the father treated the servants had an impact on that young boy. You know, he took that for granted at one point when he when he wanted to go, you know, see the world as it were, and asked for his father's inheritance." He didn't, he didn't reflect upon who his father was or, or how he interacted. But there came a time when it meant a lot to him. You have no idea how your behavior to another might influence someone else. And they might not recognize it right now. They might understand what you're doing or, or why you, you know, associate with certain people or have them over for dinner or make the time for them to, to, to talk to them on a Sunday. They may not get it. But sometimes they'll say, oh, now I understand. That's why they were so kind. Can you imagine... A master kindly treating his slaves. That had an incredible impact on this young boy as he reflected back on the, on the, the character of his father. That was a key to, reco- to, key to his son's recovery. You know, and we, this relates to us in so many ways. You know, as parents, you may have a difficult um, child that maybe grows up and, and uh, seems to reject everything you stand for. But if you're patient... And, and you've shown love and compassion to, to all your children, to, to the members of the Ecclesia. If you speak well of those in the Ecclesia, that will come back. That'll mean something someday when they come to their senses. They'll think, wow, mom and dad were always so kind and so patient. You know, compared to the, the people I hang around with now, I want to go back there. That's, that's what I'm looking for. But if we're harsh and judgmental and, and uh, critical, why would they ever want to come back? And that's how we have to think about all our interactions in the Ecclesia. You know, he willingly gave of his, of his substance to this, to this younger son. We don't know why he did that. Obviously, we understand now, in, in sort of retrospect, as a, as, as a figure of God, God knows what's best for us. Sometimes he might give us things that are, we think are good, but are, are short-term, um, you know, there's some pain involved. You know what they say, be careful what you ask for, you just might get it. Uh, there's times when God might let us go. That's part of... of, of How God works, free will, choice. We may make some bad decisions and God may let us go. And then we turn around and say, why did God get me into this mess? Well, we got ourselves into it, didn't we? Uh, And we may turn back to God. So he lets lets this son go, but oh, it grieved him, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 20. When the young son arises and comes to his father, when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. He'd never get up, hope he was watching. it. This wasn't sort of, he just happened to be wandering by, you know, that part of the property at that point, and just happened to see him. He would have been there, the highest point, where he knew he could look to, he, he he was praying earnestly that his son would come back, and when he saw him, a great way off. Oh, there's lessons here for us, brothers and sisters. Do we act like this against someone who has offended us? I mean, think of what this boy had done. Perhaps the father had to liquidate assets. Perhaps he had to to go through some hardship in order to make, you know, one-third of his inheritance uh, available for this young boy. But he's looking for him, and he runs to meet him. Verse 20 comes before verse 21, just in case you didn't know that. Okay, I teach math. 20 comes before 21. Do you see what the father is doing in verse 20, brothers and sisters? The boy hasn't said a word. Has not said a word. And the father demonstrates his love before there's confession. Oh, the confession came. How did he know he wasn't coming back to ask for more money? He assumed the best. And when that son made movement towards him... He ran to him, fell on his neck, had compassion upon him, and kissed him. What if the first person to see him had been the older brother? What kind of reception do you think he would have gotten? What kind of reception do we give to those who have trespassed against us? Do we wait for the confession? And we're not following what the father does here. Not only that, when the confession, co- confession comes, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said, he interrupts him. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and so on. That word at the beginning of verse 22, but, is a significant word. I've got it colored in. Just look back early in the parable. What was the younger son going to say? A lot more. The father didn't wait for him to finish. He interrupted him mid-sentence. He knew at that point that he had absolutely repented. He was going to go on and say stuff about um, not worthy, be called that, uh, make me as one of thy hired servants. He was probably going to say all kinds of more more things. The father didn't um, demand that. What's our reaction to apologies? And the wonderful thing about the father is when his older boy gets himself in difficulty. And he doesn't come in. Verse 28. The older son is angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He loved that boy too. And he went out to him. He, he left the merriment. He left the, the feast. And he makes this passionate appeal to, to, his, to his older boy. You're ever with me. All I have is thine. But look, we're doing the right thing. Come and join us. And, and we're left hanging. I, In my mind, I see the father then going back into the house and the older son just not knowing what to do. What do we learn from the the younger son? We're going to find ourselves sometimes, brothers and sisters, as each one of these characters. The wanderer, the one who's lost outside his father's house. He, He had been discontented in his father's house we don't know what prompted him in in, uh, verse 12 to say, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me. Was he dissatisfied? Was it too constraining? Were the the bright lights calling? Did he he think there was something better out there for him? You know, it's interesting. He's the younger son, and I think most of us think that that's something we do, our young people do, our, you know, um, immature, uh, whatever the case might be. But I think we need to, each one of us, think, how often am I led away by what I see outside? I think there's something better out there that I, that I want to grasp for. And what happens to all of us at any stage of life. This individual went uh, into a far country. They, they left the truth. And as we have read earlier, he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, verse 14, there arose a mighty famine in the land And he began to be in want. This is the chastening hand of the Lord. Famines don't happen by chance. Not in scripture. You think of all the examples in scripture when God sent famines to to sort of get the people's attention. Now I've got your attention. Come back to me. What's his first response? He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to, to feed swine. So this young boy felt the chastening hand of God. And we know from Hebrews 12 that God will chasten us if He loves us. The question is, are we going to respond to the chastening? Are we going to be exercised by it? There's a passage we read in Corinthians every Sunday, and and perhaps we get too familiar with them, about self examination. It says, ideally, you should judge yourself. That's what self examination is all about. Make that correction. Realize that you've sinned against heaven and before you. We're not really worthy to be called a son. We need to be humbled. And then, what does it go on to say in in, in Corinthians? If you don't react to to uh, judging yourself, you will be judged. God will bring into your life circumstances like this famine. And if we don't respond to that, we'll be condemned with the world. So those are our options. Examine yourself and make corrections in your own life. Listen and feel the chastening hand of God and respond to that. Or you can wait till the last day and it'll be too late to respond. So we, he's, he's um, stubbornly trying to, to work out his own salvation here or to, to, to work this out himself. And he goes and joins himself to a citizen of the country. And he's sent out to feed swine. Is there a more lowly job for a young Jewish boy, not only feeding swine, later he's looking at the, the swine thinking, boy, I wish I could have some of their food, the kind of stuff they've left over. Could, could he get any lower? And, 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 and tragically, in our own stubbornness, uh, brethren and sisters, sometimes we need to get that low until we finally look up. We get that low before we finally lift up our head. You know, hopefully we can do that more sooner and lift up our head to God and give thanks for what we have, but sometimes we have to get to the bottom. And verse 17 says he came to himself. This boy had a, a, a resurrection, a spiritual awakening. He was born again. And that's the way the father describes it. He was lost, he's found, he was dead, he's alive. And, and brothers and sisters, that's where sometimes we may need to get to. I have sinned. We need to recognize and confess our sins. To God, to those we've, we've hurt, we need to do that. Or we'll stumble in darkness. It's interesting, the younger son craved pleasure but he ended up hungry and destitute. The younger son sought for freedom, but he found he was in bondage. And, and that perhaps he thought he was constrained in his father's house, but looking back, there was liberty and freedom in his father's house, and he joyfully returned. What about the older son? And we'll, we'll la- wrap up our, our considerations of the older son. And I would suggest to you, this is the one that will hit home to us the most. It certainly did to me, because we're here at conference. We haven't left. We're not out somewhere else. We didn't decide to go somewhere else on holiday. We chose to come here. But are we lost in the house? Are we like that coin? Can we be more like the Pharisees than like the publicans and sinners? He's out at work in the field in verse 25. The elder son was come in from the field. He was at work. He was busy. He was doing his father's business. He thought He came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing. Verse 26 He called one of the servants and asked him, What mean these things? His servant said to him, Your brother, this is key, your brother is come. Your father hath killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. What's your response when your brother has returned and your father has received him? What's your response to those individuals? This boy was angry. Angry that his brother had come back. Could we ever react like that? Do we ever have those kind of feelings? It's not fair. This is not making sense. It's not fitting my paradigm. How can we we welcome back this person? And his father came out and entreated him. And he answered, Lo, these many years I do serve thee, Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou was killed for him the fatted calf. Never called his father, father. Never called his brother, brother. Oh, the servant had. Your brother is come. Your father has received him safe and sound and has killed the fatted calf. But not this boy. It was your son. Oh, it's, he, he's, very, he's very critical, isn't he? Neither at any time have I transgressed thy commandments. Here's one of the 99 sheep that don't need repentance. Here's just a 50-pence man. Not very thankful for what he's got. But you know what? He's revealed, perhaps, that all that time he was in his father's house, he was longing for something else. It was a drudgery. It was, a, it was sort of a punching the clock. Oh, he was out at work in the field, and now he was coming in, and it had become maybe routine. Maybe, maybe he thought that, you know, that's what he needed to do, but he yearned to do more, to do something else. That's not how we can live the truth, brothers and sisters. He had been all the while in his father's house. He said, all that I have is thine. You've been here with me. But he had lost what was truly important. He, he, he chose now not to go into that house. Did he say, I'm not going to eat with the likes of that man? I'm not going to eat with my brother in there? No way. No way. His pride was going to keep him from the kingdom, brothers and sisters. Well, ours... Oh, like those Pharisees, he knew the, the, the truth in, a, in, a, in, a, in an academic way. He'd read the scriptures, but he was acting here contrary to God's, to God's will. He had avoided sin as he had defined it, and yet all the while desiring it. He had thought he was righteous. He'd, he'd, he'd done his duty. He now deserved something from his father. He had lived with his father all those years, but had not developed his father's characteristics. Is that possible, brothers and sisters, that we could be in the truth 20, 30, 40 40 years and never act like our father, loving mercy and justice, long-suffering and patient, forgiving, abundant in goodness and truth? Is that possible that we could be angry when our father's happy? That we could be proudful when our father's humble? I think we've got a lot to learn from this older son. And we're going to look at uh, the uh, the parable of the unjust steward tomorrow, and, and I think we'll see a connection. Chapter 15 flows into chapter 16, and we'll see this younger son. The parable ends at the end of chapter 15, but we're going to see him again, I believe, tomorrow. The father welcomed the younger son into the house and ate with him. Would you have? Thank you.